Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Lord God, we, we are here to worship you. We're here to lift you high in our minds and our hearts and to give you what the Bible calls glory, that reality of, of, of light and of power and of weightiness, just to recognize you for who you are. And we pray now that as, as we have worshipped you in song and in prayer, that now as we worship you in this preaching, that, Lord, we will give you first place in our lives, that you will speak and that we will hear from your spirit in a very personal way and that we will know what it is that you're calling us to do based on this passage of scripture that we'll look into today. Lord, we want to know more of you. We want to deepen in our faith. We want to understand scripture. We want to be transformed. So speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin by having you ask yourself four questions today that um, I think are really significant questions and questions that can be very telling in terms of the topic that we're looking into about how to live in exile. The assumption is that we are, uh, as Daniel and his three friends were living in exile, pulled away from Israel and, and, and Jerusalem specifically, taken all the way to Babylon, some, I believe, 800 miles away, uh, to serve a foreign king. And there they had challenges, different gods, different king, different moral system, different everything almost. But how do we live faithfully in exile, which of course I have suggested to you we are. Our, we haven't been taken from our country, but in a sense what many of us grew up with is gone and the world surrounding us uh, is a different world. So here are the questions that I hope will stimulate some thought today. Number one, ask yourself this question, please. Where do I spend my time? Where do you spend most of your time? What do you, what do, you do in life? And you can think of work because that's obviously very significant, but beyond work, what consumes the time that you have? Number two, on what do I spend my money? You know, I was thinking today earlier that all of us have money flowing toward us, most of us anyway, <laughs> if we have in employment or pensions or whatever the case might be. But there's also this outflow of money, all of us to some degree. Where does it go? Where does that money flow to from your hands? Number three, from what do I experience joy? Where does the joy come from in your life? What makes you happy? Uh, you know, what brings that lightheartedness and gladness into your soul uh, that uh, blesses your life? And number four, what is always on my mind? What do you think about a lot? What consumes your attention? Uh, what is it that, 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 you know, as you go through your day, fills your mind? What is on your mind? Now, I ask these questions, uh, well, I don't ask them, I ask you to ask these questions, right? I want you to personalize that in a very real way. Because as we look at another passage in the book of Daniel, he and his three friends are in this exiled reality, and at times it is a struggle for them to be faithful to God. We're going to look at this Sunday and next Sunday, two times of great struggle, hardship, challenge, difficulty. Implication being that we too, as followers of Jesus, who are living in exile, our home is in heaven, our citizenship is there. Go back to Sermon 1 if you wanted to. That's where that content exists. But it's challenging for us as well. It needs to be. It by definition, definition will be. To be faithful to Jesus is not always easy. Now, we're going to find ourselves essentially in the people of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The three friends who have become better known as Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the, 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 the pagan names that were given to them. 
These are the Hebrew names that reflect their faith in God. That's Sermon 2, by the way, if you want to go back to it. Um, but it's part and parcel of living in exile that there are other gods there which are prominent, that they are invited to worship. And we're going to read the story today to see how they respond to that challenge. Now, I'm going to read this story. It's rather lengthy, but it is a great story. So sit back and listen to, uh, to me read the Word of God and hear from him. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may, uh, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And, what it, and, and that whoever does not fall down and worship must be thrown into, into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Uh, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the, strong, some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know, it's an amazing story how these three men absolutely refused to worship another god. That's the message that I want to bring to you today. For them, it would have literally violated the word of God. These people were faithful they were in covenant relationship with God. They knew that God had covenanted with Israel, and they knew that, co- that Israel, their people, had covenanted with God. And, and they knew the word of God. The, the law of Moses was known. They would have understood it. And I want to take you to Exodus 20, verses 3 to 6. And I want to read to you there uh, the, 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 the text of the first commandment. Note it, the first commandment that God gave says this, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an image, an image. I think that word is used four times, no, four to six times of the idol that I, from Daniel 3 that I just mentioned. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands, to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. My goodness, they would have understood that they were, what they were being asked to do, no, commanded to do, was in complete violation not only of the law of God, but the will of God. And these people, to their credit, had incredible courage, and they just said No. They refused to do what the king commanded them to do. Now, the reality is for these folks, the refusal for them was faithfulness. To bow down and worship would have been utter unfaithfulness to, the, to God. What I want to do today is ask the question, while we don't have an idol to bow down and worship to, I want to let you know in exile, by definition, all the time there are idols that are presented to us in our daily living, which we are invited to worship. We are invited to bow down to them. We are invited to recognize them as God. Now, as we go, I want you to start to think about and pray for a knowledge of what these idols might be in your life. We're going to work to 
helped identify some of this, but what are they for you? I would think there's at least one in the life of every person here, probably more. And then the question is, what will we do about that? Now, in Babylon, it was easy to identify an idol. Um, this idol was massive, literally built of gold. And I actually pasted it out today. It's 90 feet, and it's from that set of windows to that set of windows, roughly 90 feet. This is one big idol. You could not miss this guy. And he was nine feet wide. And the king set him up, and he said, you must worship. You know, that was easy. That was easy. But what about in our world? You are not literally asked to bow down to an image, a graven image, as the Old Testament command used to say in the old texts. But we are invited to worship other gods. Now, we've spoken a lot about this in the past. It's not new to this congregation. I hope you're totally conversant with this discussion. I hope you're pretty aware right now and have been for, you have been for some time. You know what the idols potentially are in your life and that you're dealing with them. But if you don't, my prayer is that the God will make this clear to you. He will begin to open your mind to those things that are being treated in your life as idols which you worship and from which we are all called to turn away. So listen for the Spirit of God to speak today, will you? Listen for that still, small voice. Seek God in your mind that he might reveal to you the truth, that you might act in faithfulness before him. Now, I've taught that the gods of this world, small g gods, are numerous. You know, the love of money, we've talked about that. You know, to, to, to live for something other than God, to work, to live for work. It's your, it's, it's your heart's desire and your greatest desire and so forth. What are, the, what are the greatest things that you value in life? These things can help us define what gods are. But I want to put it to you this way today, that a god, small g, is anything that is more important to you today than the living God, Yahweh. Simple. Anything that is more important to you today than God is potentially an idol for you to worship. Now, the easiest way to define that or to discover that or to see that uh, comes to us in, in the way that the God was given to these people because they knew to worship God would be, uh, to worship the idol would be wrong. It would be a violation of the word of God. It would be completely contrary to the will of God. And the way we describe that now in one way is anything that is wrong, anything that the Bible defines as sin can tell us if we're caught up in it what indeed the God is that we are worshiping. There's a sin of gluttony, uncontrolled eating, uh, eating in a way that's not godly, not good for the body that God has given to us, uh, the temple of God. Well, maybe if you struggle with the, 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 God, uh, the, the, the sin of gluttony, your God is food. It's possible. You know, it is, it's a remarkable thing to recognize that sometimes we just can't get it right when it comes to how we eat, you know, and we're not honoring God in this way. How about the, 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 the uh, reality of sexual sin? It's very possible that in that context, your God would be sexuality. The idea that, you know, to do that which is contrary to what God speaks in his word is something that you embrace, but the reality is it's not what God wants. And in a very real way, you're putting sexuality as you choose to engage it above God and above his word and above what he desires for you. So you see, sin can really clearly help us define what some idols are in our lives. Anybody beginning to recognize some things, some possibilities, certainly beyond what I have spoken to you? 
See, when we come to a place where we refuse to make the Lord first, where we, where we uh, give something greater importance than God in our lives and His Word, what happens is, is those things become God's because we value them more than our relationship with Jesus. Anybody beginning to realize what a God might be in their experience? An idol? I want to go beyond this, though, because we can define God's not just by those things which we engage, which are defined as sin in the Bible, but there are times that sin, things are not wrong which become idols in our lives, simply because these things become more important in our lives than the Lord, even though they're good. They take on greater significance, greater meaning, greater commitment than Christ. I'm going to start with a, one that has a bit of punch. And I, and I think at times followers of Jesus do struggle with this one because the reality is that a God in our lives, an idol in our lives, can be our families. Now this family obviously is a good thing. It's a God-given thing. But it can become a God in our lives when it takes on greater importance to us than the Lord. You know, it was Jesus who said, if you don't hate father, mother, brother, sister, children, <laughs> you can't be my disciple. Now, I want to I note something here because it's one of two times in this sermon that I'm going to give you this clear qualifier. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you don't have to be, but if you want to be my disciple, what he is saying is, you don't have to literally hate your wife or your brother. What he is saying is that these people, you can love them. They can be important to you. They can be a good part in your life, but there's no way they can become more important than me. Not even close. They can be important, but they're way down the line. I and my will and my calling in your life and my instruction through Scripture, I am the most important one, not them. Think about it. Uh, you know, the extreme example might be a, a child grows up and feels called to go into ministry or go into a, a missionary role on the other side of the world, but parents are brokenhearted and say, no, please don't go. What will that young person do? I want to tell you, if Christ is calling them to the mission field or if he's calling them to ministry, they go, regardless of what mom and dad want. And by the way, mom and dad, what do you do? <laughs> well, it might be really, really hard, but you give your child your blessing because you recognize that God has spoken to them and this is God's call in their life and it is God's will that that child goes. Do you see it? It's not our desires and it's not what we want. Even family can't be as important as Jesus to us. How about this one? The God of yourself. I do like asking this congregation this question, and I've done it before, but I'm going to do it again. Who do you live for? You know, living for yourself is as easy as breathing. It is natural to a human being to look out for your own interests and to put yourself first. Now, when, when I put it that way, all of a sudden people get, oh, maybe that's not very biblical. No, it's not very biblical. <laughs> Jesus, Paul writes in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Life I live, I live for Christ. Life I live in the body. I live by faith in, in Jesus. So you see, we can't, we can't put ourselves first. We can't put our desires and our will and even our thinking primary. No, we give that place to Jesus. We yield our lives to Christ in making him God. And I'm asking you today, is that how you live? Is that how you're choosing to live your life? When he calls you to serve, you serve? When he calls you to go, you go? When he calls you to meet with him in fellowship, abide in me as I am in you, 
you abide, etc., 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 Jesus comes first, not us. Now, how about the, the God of convenience? I really like this one. You know, the idea that the reality is that um, very often we so prioritize convenience that keeps us from doing what God wants. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to serve in that way. It, it, it would inconvenience my life. I wouldn't be able to do this and that, and I love doing those things, and, you know, it's, 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 it's just not really me. It, listen, if God calls us to something, we do it, whether it's convenient or not. We make it a priority because we're called to it, either in terms of how we live or how we serve, what we do. Comfort's in a similar vein. I think there's a big one in North American Christianity. Oh, I couldn't do that. I'm not comfortable with that. You know, comfort has to be devalued so often in our, in our lives. Listen, how many people, when you look into Scripture, lived life faithfully before God in a comfortable way? Do you think these three men were comfortable to go before the most powerful man in the world and say, I'm sorry, king, I'm not going to do it. Throw me in the furnace if you want, but I'm going to serve God first. That was not a comfortable experience. The king was furious with them and they faced death. Comfort, it cannot be our God. I can go on and on in, in these sorts of things, but my friends, if we refuse to give up other things to live for Christ, we are serving them as gods. I want to throw this one in, and it's a bit unique and different, but what about good causes? Good causes. There are many good causes in this world. The way I, I am envisioning a lot of these good causes now is that for many people, Christian or otherwise, they have become idols. They've become gods. They've become reasons for living, the purpose of life, that which gives greatest value, that which is put as a result, as, as greatest priority in life. How about this one? Environmentalism. Now, again, let me qualify this. Each one of these that I'm going to speak of, they're not wrong. As a matter of fact, I think everything I'm going to speak to is good. The point is, though, that they can't become God to us. And there are so many people that think that environmentalism is so important and it is the greatest value in the world and it is something that we must engage in and so that we can protect the earth. Listen, God in Genesis 1 and 2 told us to care for his creation. Understand this, people. <laughs> we are to care for his creation. But we cannot put environmentalism on such a, a pedestal that it becomes our God. If anything, for the Christian, it's simply a means to worship Christ the King. It is a way to worship Jesus. But Jesus is God. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. What about this one? What's now re generally referenced as social justice. I prefer the term biblical justice. But the idea of justice is something that is rooted in Scripture. And I, but again, I would say to it, if we come to a place, and I think a lot of Young people in particular have done this. If we come to a place where we think that is the most important thing in life, we devalue Jesus, we put him on a lower plane, and we're worshiping something else. You know, I spoke to a young person a while ago, committed Christian, you know, no, no question about that. And, and I asked this question because I've been processing this idea for a little while. I, I said to this person, what's more important, social justice or evangelism? You know, the person sort of sat back for a minute and thought and, and then responded, well, it's evangelism. And we both agreed because evangelism has eternal consequence. Where are you going to end up, in heaven or in hell? Big deal. Jesus made this a massive priority in his life. So must we. I don't want to create a false dichotomy because God cares about both. My point is this, though. 
If we, I think that dynamic some, and in some way helps us understand the way that a younger generation has put social justice as most important in life. No, it's important. But it can be nothing more than a means of worshiping the king, the one who is the God of justice. See, this being said, my friends, we have got to recognize that someone has said that a God is something, small g, that absorbs our hearts or our imaginations. It is something that replaces God or attempts to. And for followers of Jesus, this is a singular truth. There can be nothing more important in our lives than the person of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as represented to us most profoundly and clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, this is where these four questions that I've asked you to ask yourself come into play. I'm going to have them projected again. So ask yourself now, where do you spend your time? For most of it, it's work. Work is a very time-consuming thing. Beyond that, what do you do with your life? Are you honoring Christ in the way that he wishes you to? Are you serving yourself or are you serving him and building his kingdom? Those are pro, that's a profound question. Where does my time go? Number two, and what do I spend my money? Remember I talked about that flow of money that goes out from our homes, usually electronically now? <laughs> Where does it go? Does it, does it kind of boomerang back and, and, you know, the large majority just gets spent on me and my interests and my needs and my wants and my desires? Or is it being used to build the kingdom of God? As Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven, right? Don't sock it away in the bank more than you need to. That's a, that's a challenging question. But it says something about our hearts and what, what absorbs our hearts and our imaginations. Oh, I, I could never tithe because, you know, to tithe is something that, you know, uh, I, I need money in the bank. I have to hold on to it. It gives me safety and security. <laughs> My friends, Jesus gives you safety and security. He will always provide for you, Scripture says. He'll never leave you or abandon you. And, and people who put Christ first say, oh man, what does Jesus want me to do with my money? That's called stewardship. And we do with our money what Jesus wants us to do with our money. Because he's king. Because he's God. Next question. From what do I experience joy? Now, I know there's an, um, an assumption in the question, that is that you do experience joy. And I hope you do, and I hope you experience a lot of it. Sometimes I think we need to find new ways to experience joy. But you know what the Bible says? Joy ultimately for us comes from God. Being with Him. Recognizing His presence. Understanding His goodness to us. Someone defined lately for me that, that joy is lightheartedness. It's like, whoa, this is this, this thing that bubbles up within us because of our relationship with Christ and the goodness that He brings into us and what He does. Getting most of your joy from him? Are you seeking it from other sources? Lastly, and I want to tell you, this is the one that really has struck me as I've prepared for today. What is always on my mind? What do you think about a lot? Like a lot. Um, that's to me a very telling reality because what we think about a lot, what dominates our thinking, dominates our lives. And very, very possibly is a God if it's something in the, other than the person of Jesus Christ. See, my friends, these questions, I hope you can hold on to them. I hope you process them over this next week. 
I hope you, you seek God and you ask him, Lord, what, what is going on in my life? What are the idols in my life that I potentially am bowing down to? Because like these three men, I want to stop it. I want to be faithful to you. I want to honor you and honor you first. Well, um, I want to tell you that what has struck me in this text uh, quite profoundly uh, oh, and I should say, by the way, those questions, if you'll use them seriously, they will point, point out to you what I believe is primary in your life, simply. What is primary in your life? That is what you'll spend your time with, spend your money on, where you'll experience joy, and what you'll think about a lot. Let those questions lead you to an understanding of what is. Now, beyond that, what has struck me in this text profoundly is the level of commitment of these three men. Did, did you note it as they... they uh, um, as the story was read to you, there was just no question in their minds what they were going to do. They were in a dire circumstance, but my friends, they would rather die with God than live without him. That's a big deal. And I want us immediately to start thinking about ourselves. They would rather die with God than live without him. They had no fear. The statement that they made to the king was calm, you know, um, it was settled. Uh, it, 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 seems to, to, it seems to me as I read this text that, that, that they had made uh, their decision and they had come to a conviction that was solid. And there was absolutely no way they were going to be unfaithful to their God. It wasn't going to happen. Um, they knew that God was with them. They knew that God would save them either from death or in death. They knew that their lives were in God's hands and that he would do with them as he pleased. Remarkable thing. Um, and in the end, I stand back and, and I look at their faithfulness. Uh, you know, in choosing unfaithfulness or death, and they choose death, and I go, my goodness, this is incredible. 100% commitment to their God. 100% committed to being faithful to the Lord. And listen to me, and I want this to be significant in your experience right now. They would rather die than worship an idol. Do you hear that? They would rather die than worship an idol. I've asked myself, and now I ask you, am I and are we that committed to Jesus? Wow. <laughs> That's a remarkable thing. Remarkable question. Will we choose to give up our gods as we identify them? And that's a critical first step. But once we know what they are, will we choose to give them up? Are we prepared to die rather than to worship that thing that calls upon our hearts to love it most and, and calls us as people to serve it most rather than to love and serve Christ? Even if it costs us dearly to do so. See, because this is the level of commitment that Jesus calls us to. Did you know that? It's remarkable when you think about it, and I don't think often we do, but it's remarkable. This is the level of commitment that we see in these three men that Jesus calls us to. You know, Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 8, if you want to be my disciple, and there's the second if that I'm bringing to you today. He's saying, like, you can be my disciple if you wish. You don't have to. But if you 
want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, you dethrone self, and you put Christ on the throne. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And I want to tell you, when those disciples heard Jesus speak that, those words, it would have shaken them. And maybe even terrified them. Because what Jesus was literally doing, they knew it, he knew it, crucifixion was a common reality in the day. He was calling them to die with and for him. But not even life can be more important than faithfulness to Christ in the kingdom of God. If you want to be my disciple, my friends, who among us is that committed to Jesus? Nothing can be more important, not even life itself. He and he alone must be of greatest value and importance in our lives. Well, the story goes on and Nebuchadnezzar becomes furious at these men. When it says that his attitude changed toward them, you know what the Hebrew literally is? That his face became contorted. Like he is furious. <laughs> you are defying me? Like he, he almost couldn't manage himself, he was so angry. So he, he instructed the fire to be heated up seven times. Biblically, that's the number of perfection. Um, and it, it, in other words, it couldn't have been hotter. You need to know that in this day, one of the primary gods of Babylon and of Nebuchadnezzar himself was a god called Murdak, small g. In the, the, the worship of Murdak, they, uh, they would sacrifice human lives to him. And they would do so by throwing people into a fire where they would burn to death. So he, he is essentially offering these people to his god, because you will not defy me and you will not defy the gods of Babylon. Well, in the three of them go and the king jumps up and he looks and he can hardly believe his eyes because what he sees is these three people walking. Did you notice the word unbound? Their hands which had been bound, their feet possibly as well, they're free to walk around and they are unharmed. My friends, when we give up our idols... We find ourselves in a position where we can break free from that which binds us, free from the power of sin, which binds us, so it says in the New Testament, free from its control, and we learn to live freely before the Lord where there is nothing that is going to inhibit us or hold us back from being everything we can be for Christ and with him. We're free. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees a fourth man walking with them, doesn't say who he is, Many scholars believe that it's the person of Jesus Christ, and it probably is, but the text doesn't clarify that, so we can't say so with authority. But Jesus, of course, was the eternal Son of God, not born in Bethlehem into life, but one who had lived for all eternity past and will forever. Now, I was just reading John 8, I believe, this, this week as I go through John in my devotional life, and Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and they're basically confused. Everybody's confused about who Jesus is, and in the end of the day, he said, I, you know, I, I, I saw Abraham, and they said, Abraham, you're only like 30 years old. How can you say that you, you, you saw Abraham? And he, said, he looked at them, and he said, I am who I am is the implication. I existed before Abraham. I saw Abraham's life, Jesus is saying. And of course, they go ballistic, and they want to kill him in the moment. But Jesus claimed divinity. Jesus claimed eternality. And it's very possible that this was Christ 
walking with the men whom he had saved. That's what Jesus does, the Savior of the world. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar calls, in, calls him a son of the, one of the, their gods. He wasn't accurate in that. <clears throat> He's thinking of his own religious system. But what he's saying is, I'm seeing something supernatural happening here. And in that, he was correct. God had showed up. He was, Nebuchadnezzar was right. And I want to tell you, my, my, my friends, if we are willing to suffer for Christ, if we are willing to dethrone the idols that are in our lives, and if we are willing to put Jesus on the throne and worship him and him alone, give him greatest pro- prominence and greatest importance in our lives, No matter what may come our way, Christ has promised his presence with us and he has promised to provide for us and he has promised to save us. For these men, he saved them physically. Um, If he hadn't, he would have saved them in death. But he would have saved them. He was there. They chose to fear God and God delivered them. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is speaking, verse 28. It says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't be afraid of human beings. They can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, another penetrating and powerful statement. We are to fear God and not human beings. We are to do what God calls us to do regardless. We are to be faithful to the one with whom we will spend eternity, praising him for his goodness. On the end, Nebuchadnezzar accepted defeat. He had built an idol to prove his supreme rule over all people. And in the end, he came to realize that there was another who had supreme rule in the world and even over his own life and his God's. You see, in this instance, the fire of uh, the, the Babylonian god failed and Yahweh overpowered that god. Yahweh was king. Nebuchadnezzar sees it and he ends up praising God for what he has done. Listen, honor and worship was being given to God by the most powerful man on earth. Why? Because three men refused to worship an idol, and they chose to be faithful to their God. And you know what I want to tell you today? That can be you. That can be me. We are called in this exile to be dramatically different people. I'm saying this a lot in this series. We are called to be what the old translation described as a peculiar people. We are, we are to stand out in the, in, in the universe, the dark universe, like a bright star, Paul writes in Philippians. We are to be unusual and we are to be so because we worship Christ and we live our lives for him in faithfulness and in love at the end of the day my friends my question for you today I think is what level of commitment do you have to Jesus Christ and that kind of sums it up doesn't it it is really easy to believe in Jesus but not be completely committed to him true false if you want to be my disciple you've got to be prepared to die for me if you want to be my disciple you've got to hate your father mother brother sister children I have to come first I want to tell you you can believe all the 
doctrinal statements in the world if you wish. But unless you come to this place where you are willing to bow only before the person of Jesus Christ and his Father, by the power of the Spirit at work within you, you're not there yet. So I say to each of us, I, I, this has challenged me. <laughs> How committed, what is our level of commitment to Jesus? Will we go into this week, if indeed the Lord hasn't revealed to us what our idols are, to seek them, and then refuse absolutely to worship them, to bow down before them? You know, I envision a church, honestly, that is filled with people where their greatest priority in life is Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question just for a minute. This strikes me right now. How would our church look different? How would it function differently? What would be different about IPC if every single person who calls IPC home made Christ their absolute priority, his will, their greatest desire, faithfulness to him and him alone, their passion? My friends, will we put them first, not ourselves, not our causes, not our money, not our food, <laughs> not our families, not our work, not our convenience, not our comfort? Nothing comes before the person of Jesus and his worship. Not only here, critical thing, whether we're here or whether we're at home, but our entire lives lived for Jesus. Is that you? Or is that something you have yet to step into? You know, I want to finish today as I do on occasion, and I just want to give you opportunity to pray. Some of you are going, oh, please, Chris, don't do that. <laughs> not right now, because I know I'm not there. That's okay. God is gracious. And if you're on your journey toward coming to that place where you can so trust God, you notice that's the word Nebuchadnezzar used. He said, these men, after they came out of the fire, trusted their God. If you can trust God that much, and if you can come to trust God that much as you move forward toward that place of full commitment, I think God's at work. And that might be in, in this time of prayer. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, I'd like to trust you that much, and I'd love to come to that place where I fully and completely commit my life to you. Well, be honest with God. But if you're there already, if you trust him that much and you, you hear the word of God spoken and you know this is what God is calling you to do, whether you've done it before or whether you haven't, would you, will you fully and completely commit your life to Jesus today? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing games here. <laughs> this means that you're giving your life to Christ and that he and his will for your life will be prominent from here on in. So let's pray. And I'll just open this time of prayer and we'll have a time of silence where you can, you can do business with God, I call it, right? And at the end, I'll, I'll wrap it up and we'll sing. So let's come to God now in prayer. Lord, the first thing that we need to do is, as followers of Christ is to come in confession. Because too often, our God, we've been unfaithful to you by worshiping other idols. We have bowed before them. We have given them place in our lives that belongs only to you. And we come and we, we confess our sin, our God, and we ask now for your forgiveness for idolatry. And Lord, we receive your grace in this moment because we know we are promised in Scripture that when we confess that you will forgive us. That the greater the sin, the greater the grace. And Lord, we just receive that grace into our lives right now.
Thank you for forgiving us, Lord. And we pray now that you'll lead us forward and we're going to take just a moment of silence so that everyone here can pray in their own way to you in relationship to their level of commitment to Jesus. So Lord, some might be on the journey and we'll admit that, not yet able to because of trust. Others will be ready to because they do trust you. God, we pray in this moment that people will be honest and real and authentic with you. And that indeed we'll move forward to the place that you call us to be. Here is now. Lord, we're told in this story that uh, the result of what these men did in the end was that they were promoted to greater position and power in Babylon. And again, based on their faithfulness, Lord, you blessed them. And we know that blessing lies in us following you faithfully. We know that we come most alive. We are most human. We are, we are everything you create us to be when we are living in right relationship with you. So, Lord, help us to trust you to provide that. Help us to be a people, Lord, who, who discover this dynamic and in whom faith just comes alive in a new way. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us never to bow to an idol. This we pray in Jesus' name.